Welcome to the Nerds and Hip Hop Podcast, the sequel episode. Yes, we've been gone a little while, but if you do not know, the Nerds and Hip Hop Podcast is about the intersection of hip hop and nerd life. Peter Molyneux, Tyler the Creator, Dragon Quest, and Jam and the Holograms are all fair game. If you know any of these names, welcome. There are four main parts. We first review our weeks in nerdum and hip hop dumb. Then we explore a theme through our hip-hop and nerd influences. At the end, we ask ourselves a question and open up to your questions. Welcome to Nerds on Hip-Hop. I am the Wolves Den, and I'm here accompanied by the legendary Sailor Scout Johnson. A.K.A. Miss Old School. <laughs> the oldest of schools. <laughs> so let's get into it. How was your week in nerdum? So my week in nerdum has been playing Xenoblade Chronicles X. I bought the collector's edition before I went to Jamaica for holidays, and I left it here because I had I could not play it while I was in Jamaica. <laughs> and I finally came back to play, and it's an open world, kind of a single player MMORPG world. There are like five different continents, and literally after like a five seven minute opening of the game, you pretty much can go anywhere you want. And that's kind of the appeal of the game. So, you the story is that you, our Earth got caught in the middle of the war between these two alien races. Earth had this evacuation white whale ship where a couple of people, couple of Earth citizens were able to escape. On while on the white whale, they're trying to find a new place to kind of find call home. While they're trying to find call home, they got shot down by this other alien race. They landed on an alien planet called Mira. Now, the entire kind of story is that you are a person who was in a stasis pod because everybody else who wasn't like an engineer and so forth were in stasis pods on the ship until they were supposed to land. And they found you, they recruited you back, and it's your job to kind of explore this planet. And what's neat about this is that one of the key elements of this game is kind of resource management where you need throughout the game because the world is so big you you can find a fast travel point so you don't need to necessarily go from this place to one place to the other because that can literally take you 20 minutes to travel from one place to the other and what they do is that you have this thing where you can install data probes so therefore you can travel there but it's not just for that part of the data probes is that you can mine in that particular place to kind of collect resources. So part of the fun of this game is trying to find more of those places to install your probes so you can find out more parts in the map and figure out what is there that you may need for your home colony. And what's really neat is that you, because of how gargantuan the world is, you're trying to piece together what this alien Earth is like based on what your experiences are. So I'm up to chapter four. In chapter three, you find out one of, you get in a confrontation with alien people who live, who just kind of came into, who also invaded the planet. And after you beat them, you're roughly their level, like level five, level, not level five, like level 10 and level 15. Later on, I'm exploring, trying to find more data probes to kind of find more things on the map to see what else this world has to offer. And I'm getting close to a whole different continent. 
But I see these same people who I took out one of their original bases. I see them elsewhere, but instead of level being like level 15, they're like level 45. And you're like, wait, so what are y'all doing over here? What do you guys do? Okay. So like now you're now you start questioning pieces of the story. So you knew that they were doing something at one particular place. Now you're like, so what's gonna be in store for me down the line? And the game didn't necessarily tell you that anything's in down the line with these guys yet. You don't know what's next. But because that uh, these are enemies that you kinda have to sneak around and try to find to find different places in the map, it just becomes this exploration thing where you have to be careful about who, what you're walking around because level 90 monsters can be walking walking right beside level 17s. They can see you. They could even respond to your hearing. So you're always on edge. But because you want to find more things for your home, your main base, you're being consistently prompted. Is like, let's go find out what's around that corner. But I can't take. I have to be very careful because anything could be around that corner. Mm-hmm. It's a nice tension. And you've been waiting for this game for a while, right? I've been waiting for this game since January 2013. <laughs> has it lived up to your expectations so far? It it has. I was actually a little bit worried about this game. There, early last year, there were import, impre- expre- uh, import impressions of this game. People have imported the game from Japan. Mm-hmm. And it's coming off of a game that I played that came out in 2011, but I played early end of 2014 early 2015 mm-hmm. and that game was great like that is one of my favorite games of all time the original xenoblade chronicles and the importing impressions were of this game is like this is not very good this has issues because it's not a traditional storytelling or and all of that and i was like man i'm looking forward to this but i'm expecting it not to be good i know if you ever had those moments you're like i'm still into this but i'm not i'm not going in arms open i'm going in just to appreciate it for what it is and i think i'm in that place now where i don't love the story but i don't think it's as bad as people are presenting it and i think people have issues with the world that the way that it's presented but because of that tension to this the tension that they create for you to try to find things and places and having different the different types of monsters in different places have their own cycles They've done a lot of very incentives designed in the world, and I think it pays off, and I think it's different on its own. I don't know if it necessarily lives up to my expectations, because what, I'm 14 hours in, but this game can go on for 150, so I don't, I can't, I don't want to gauge my experience. I'm at chapter 4, there are 12, anything can happen. I'm pleased with what I'm playing, though. I'm not disappointed, I'm pleased. Does that even sound like something you'd be interested in playing, though, in terms of something that's, like, explore the world type thing? Is that your type of I, thing? I do like explore the world. I, I find myself more attracted to games that have structure, though, because I'm right. kind of like, I want I like following stories and knowing, like, right, I did this, now what's next? Okay. Um, I like goals, like getting goals. But the idea of monsters with different levels being next to each other is kind of fascinating to me because it's... I can see how that would build suspense and you kind of, like, I think most RPG games that I've dealt with, it's usually, you only encounter monsters that you can fight, you can, like, possibly kill. And then once you get to a certain level, then you're kind of introduced to another set of monsters. Right. Where this is kind of throwing everybody in all at once, which which is kind of exciting. I think I could get into that. Right. It's It feels like an ecosystem. Like, that's what it, it feels like. Mm. 
a lot of times you, when you see the bigger monsters, they're like way gargantuan versions of the small ones that are exploring. You're like, okay, I can't mess with its parent, but I can mess with the little kids that are around it. Sounds so wrong. <laughs> it does. <laughs> and I don't think that, so that's been my personal week, but we've also kind of shared some experiences, haven't we? We have. We are, we're both somewhat, well, you're watch, we're both somewhat watching Silver Spoon. You're both Star Wars newbies. Yeah. So, I finished Silver Spoon. You didn't. So, I'm going to just kind of paint my experience, but I, because I think the audience would love to hear what your funny <laughs> story is with, with uh, Silver Spoon. So, Silver Spoon, for those who don't know, I think I mentioned in the last podcast, is a story about a kid who's from the inner kind of, I don't want to say inner city but it's from the city of Tokyo I think it is and then he went into the countryside for high school to do a farming school unlike everyone else in that school he's the only one who's not from a fa- farming cultural background so he kind of plays around with him being not all that ilk at him learning so he's kind of an audience surrogate in that way but we learn a lot about him throughout throughout we figure out why does he choose to come to this type of place and what does he learn from being here? And what are his actual skills being here? Because part of it is that because he's such a city slicker, people don't expect him to have any of these qualities to be fit for a farm and so forth. But we become enamored with him because of his different perspective of farm culture. Throughout the, throughout the show is this idea of because he's not attached to the idea of being a farmer directly, things that they take... For granted, for example, killing a uh, I think very first, killing a pig was a major plotline throughout. Where he's raising, they're a part of raising this pig, and he takes a particular interest in one of them. He actually calls him Porkable, which is hilarious. <laughs> and it becomes a tension point: is like, is he going to kill him at the end? Why does he not? Why does he want to? And there's a lot of personal growth that happens throughout the series. It's one of my favorite things about it is that. They took something that could just easily be a comedy series and they gave him a lot of chance to grow and his car- his peers grow pretty well too. But you didn't necessarily go as far. And I, I think it's funny far. why. So, I love food. And so, usually when I'm watching a series, I'm keeping up with a series. Um, most of the time I have time to watch a series is when I'm eating. love eating, watching my shows, same time. It's awesome pastime. Um, and as Marcus mentioned, Silver Spoon takes place on a farm. So I think in the first episode, there's um, there's this whole thing about how eggs come out of a chicken's anus, which is a whole other thing. And I remember for a while, like, it made me, like, question eggs. <laughs> and then at the same time, I um, I just can't eat while I'm watching it because it's just I feel so guilty. Just watching all these animals, these cute little animals in this show, and I'm here eating like chicken and rice or whatever I'm eating that day. Or and yeah, so I I, I still haven't been able to get past episode three because uh, mainly for that reason. Like I usually sit down and watch my shows while I'm eating, and if I'm eating, first thing I don't want to watch is something a farm. <laughs> right, and I I find that hilarious because that's literally how he feels for the first for the, like that's the core part of his whole arc of the series is that with his relationship with Porkbowl is that I can't 
can I even eat you? Can I even get behind that? So I found it funny that it's like, you literally embodied what the character was experiencing, you know, but being so removed from it. I think that was part of it too, because like I could see like what he was going through and what he was dealing with, and it, it I could feel that, and I'm like, now I feel guilty. <laughs> and that's what I think of every time I go to watch Silver Spoon. I'm like, oh man, these cute little animals. <laughs> it's funny because I in this I, in that particular case, I feel a lot more like his peers, a lot more jaded. So I'll have no problem eating while I'm watching what's <laughs> going on. <laughs> It's funny though because I think afterwards he kind of, at some point he again it gets over it in the first few one of the first few episodes and he's like this is delicious. Yeah, that, the the egg egg specifically that's what happened. He was like, he he closes his eyes and is like I'm just eating it anyways. Whatever. I'm just gonna like get the image out of my mind. I, yeah, I probably have to do the same. But uh, the other thing we're sharing this week, other than Silver Spoon, is. Star Wars! Yes, in a galaxy not far away. <laughs> it's not very exciting. I wasn't sure how to feel for this. Cause you, so, tell them that you were a little, like, you were more excited for the entire scenario going into Awaken, Awaken. So, give them your full experience and even your desire to talk about Star Wars. Because I always told you... I originally told you that we were going to talk about Star Wars on this podcast, <laughs> so I found it funny that we ended up at this point. We did, but I think it, we have a very unique experience just because most people that I know either grew up on the series or have seen it before when it first aired or have seen it, you know, the prequels or been around this kind of dialogue for a while. And we somehow managed to miss this entire uh, epic for years and years and years. And so we both watched... Well, I watched up till I watched three through six um, a week before the movie came out, and so it just kind of amped it up for me um, a bit. And I was really excited to watch seven afterwards because it's this epic story. It was the first time that they were really adding any more information from from going forward. Like, they added prequel information, but they never added any forward information. So it's really groundbreaking. And uh, I was super stoked going into Star Wars. So you, so what uh, were you... So you watched the original 3 through 6. So what were your just thoughts on those movies in general before we even get to what Awakens did or didn't do for you? So, like, as a newbie to that, mm. what was that? What was that? What were your thought process throughout? What did you take out being new to that? So, I tried to watch it from the perspective of someone who's watching it when it came out in the late 70s and the 80s, um, thinking about what movies were out then and what the special effects were capable of doing. So, through that, I could see how viewers would see it as like something like to be in awe of, because it is this epic thing, and a lot of it is so super like, like you, you can almost imagine it being in space. <laughs> For that time, I mean, I feel like the graphics are actually really good for the time that it came out. Um, I do, I was a little disappointed with Luke's character, I will admit. Um, he's super highly favored, I feel a lot like, but um, he felt kind of second tier to everyone, as far as like Han Solo and Princess Leia, even um, 
Oh gosh. <laughs> R2D2. <laughs> wow, you are the, is he even second class to C3PO? Is that where you're gonna go next? <laughs> I won't go that far because I feel like I will upset so many people. But I think C3PO is hilarious. Um I didn't expect it to be so funny as well, too. Um and I was shocked how little of a role Yoda plays um in the movie just because he's so highly regarded as a character you would think that he's in the movie a lot but really he's i mean in the, in the original trilogy at least but he really only has about like maybe three scenes um, really yeah How yeah many, so i for i haven't gotten to see empire yet and that's the, that's the next one on my list and i'll talk about that soon but how many scenes does he have in Empire versus scenes in uh, Return of the Jedi? Or are uh, all of the scenes in Empire? I don't want to ruin it for you. <laughs> <laughs> so we're just going to leave it there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but few, I would say. Okay. Um, so yeah. But then... We've both seen the new movie. We have. I guess I'll talk a little bit about my experiences, like, and then we can talk about Awakens. So I, I wish I could say I didn't ever see any of the prequels, but I saw I saw part of Episode One and I fell asleep as a kid. <laughs> and I saw Episode Three, but I really don't remember it. So I've always just felt like very indifferent to Star Wars. Like I thought it was okay when I walked out of the theater, but Star Wars never. Part of the reason why I thought we weren't ever going to talk about Star Wars was it just never felt a part of my nerddom. Mm. And I watched, while I was in Jamaica, I was planning to just skip Awakens. I wasn't planning to see anything. When I saw, in, in Netflix in Jamaica, they had A New Hope. So I thought, alright, might as well give it a shot and see. And I like you share that whole experience. I was like, Oh man, Luke is gonna be a very interesting character. Obi Wan will be very interesting, like, cause these are such staple names and ideas. And I really have to say, the Jedi are really uninterestingly shown in that very first movie. I could agree with that. I there are so many weird things in that movie, but I'm just shocked at how much Han 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 wow. Han Solo and Leia carry that film. The minute right. that they're both on screen together, the mo the movies, the rest of the movie is theirs. That was another thing I was kind of shocked about. Like I didn't realize how much how big of a role Han Solo played into these movies. Yeah. But uh, continue. <laughs> so that's the thing that shocked me the most, and I'm excited for Empire because I there are two things I hear about Empire that it has a down ending in the first piece. And the other piece to Empire is that it is supposed to fill in a lot more of the blanks concerning the Jedi. So I don't necessarily feel anything for Obi-Wan, but maybe I'll feel something for Yoda. Maybe. We, who knows? You and, know, it's uh, funny. I think I felt more from Yoda from the third movie. Wow. Because, um, well, he's younger by, like, I think... I only like 20 years, but anyway. <laughs> but uh, he, he does a lot more, like, lightsaber work and crazy stuff. Like, that's when they got the CGI, so he goes he goes a little ham. Right. There. But 
do you think so do you think his lightsaber work in three is more important than what he says in four i mean in five i wouldn't say that okay. i would say i think it grabbed my attention more seeing him do that just because it was cool <laughs> okay so i so that's how we both went into awaken so i wasn't expecting anything great i just kind of was like okay this is a Nice action film with something, and to spoil my thoughts, are like, Wow Awakens is really good. Wow, I actually like Star Wars. Wow, yeah. that's literally what I walked out of this theater saying. And I walked out of the theater a week later, I'm still thinking, I can't believe I just became a Star Wars fan. <laughs> that should be on a shirt. <laughs> What about for you? How did you walk out? Because you sounded more optimistic going in. I wasn't really expecting to like it much. I was more optimistic going in. Um, I saw the trailer before I saw the movies. And you kind of get that, there's that scene where Han Solo and Chewie come and they're like, you know, we're back. Which was, it felt exciting, even though I didn't see the movies. So after seeing the movies, it was even more, like, (laughs) I get the anticipation. Like, I'm so, like, on the same wavelength. Even though I haven't been waiting, like, 30 years, 30, 40 years, like everyone else for it. Probably, like, 30 days. (laughs) Less than that. (laughs) But, um, I got it. And so I was, um, I went in with, like, super high expectations. It looked like it was going to be amazing. And I, I have to say, I feel like my expectations were really met, like, it was it was a lot funnier than I thought it was going to be. It was the story was done well. Um, I can see why a lot of people say it's kind of a copy of yeah. the new hope. But um I, I just I think um JJ Abrams was saying earlier that's kinda of like a tried and true um Hero's Journey formula. Hmm? A tried and true hero's journey formula. Right, yeah, exactly. So I, I it worked. I think it was great. I love Ray. I love Finn. I think it's a, if anything, it's a great setup for what the next two movies can bring. Right. And I feel like they set up a great foundation to show, to expand from there. And they can definitely like go and do different things from onward that made nothing like what we've seen before. Hopefully. Right. So I agree with you. There are a lot of beats that were similar. So you're talking about being, uh, the opening scene of both movies being our villain invading somewhere trying to kill people are and trying to find a piece of information you have the getting away of our piece of information via kind of a kind robot you have our main character being on a on a desert desert place there are other stuff that goes into spoiler territory i won't get into concerning mentor figures uh like there are a lot of beats that are similar and the death star stuff is similar but I feel that so many things that kind of bothered me with A New Hope were all avoided in this film. And I think that's what made me surprised with Awakens. So part of the thing that used to annoy me, why annoyed me watching A New Hope, and maybe I'm a little bit excessive, is that the fact that George Lucas literally thought that R2-D2 and C-3PO could carry the film for about 15 <laughs> minutes really just like shocked me. Like, it's not terrible or anything, but you're thinking about that. So the premise sets up, Vader is dealing with uh, Leia on the ship, and then we cut, because that's not a long scene, really. We get the cut, 
and then now R2-D2 is on this desert planet. And then not only does R2-D2 start going in this particular ratio, he and C-3PO split, then re-meet. <laughs> and we still don't have any real dialogue going on here until C-3PO. Like, that's the weird part of that film. And then you have, then you have, uh, uh, after they re-meet, they're in the same ship, then you have the meeting Luke. Like, that's a weird, that, that scene really sticks in my mind as like, that's some weird directing. And it's not even just this weird directing, it's weird that people have that affection for it. And then the Jedi stuff feels very, I don't want to say hokey, because it's not that, it just doesn't feel... Like, the mystery of the Force doesn't feel like... Like, Luke is... Part of Luke's character is just like, Yeah, that makes sense! Of course there's this great thing around me that I can always tap into. Like, this has always been... Of course, that's what my father had in him. Like, there's this very open willingness for this Force. And I also just don't think his interaction with Obi-Wan is really that interesting. To make the Jedi sound interesting. And I was just like, we create a myth of the Jedi in this film, but it's not like, it's not a cool myth. It's not like, oh, I'm excited to see what they do next. It awakens, though. <laughs> the Force looks like a crazy cool thing that's going, like, and not only does it seem like a crazy cool thing that's going on, the fact that Kylo, and this is not really spoilers, but Kylo, if you don't know anything about the movie, you probably should like pause for like two minutes. Kylo has this moment where he's interrogating Rey. But his kind of interrogation process is because he's infatuated with the fact that Rey has this has a better tap on the gift than he does. Like, that's a really cool premise for the Force. Because it means that the dark side is infatuated with someone else who has the power for the Force too. Like, that makes the mythos of the Force cool. The fact that she had these flashbacks from holding lightsaber and her being chosen. Like, there's elements of like, oh, huh? It's spoiler. I did say two minutes. I did. Okay. I'm not that evil. <laughs> and I guess I'll cut my spoilers there. <laughs> but go ahead. You have some non-spoiler stuff to say, I'm sure. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, I was going to say that um, I actually adore... D3PO and R2D2. So I don't think that scene bothered me as much just because I thought it was silly and funny. But I will give George Lucas credit because I have to say it was bold, if anything. Yes. <laughs> Very. Um, just take a chance on that. Uh, but I, I, it didn't bother me for some reason. Maybe I have to go back and watch it. But I think I, I kind of went in with a open mind like, let's see what all this hype is about with this movie. And Go from there. Right. But yeah. That's um as far as Force Awakens, yeah. Just awesome movie. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I also like that they well, spoiler. <laughs> Maybe I do have spoilers. <laughs> Another um, two minutes. I know, right? Um that they didn't have Finn keep that lie going for so long. Cause I feel like a lot of movies can get into that like the whole movie is him trying to keep his lie going and then them figuring out the end and then all of a sudden they don't trust him anymore and it, it can get very stereotypical and I'm very happy that they avoided that and they went a smart way of using the fact that he, he 
he's a stormtrooper to their advantage with having him like know the whereabouts of you know how to defeat the the new death star mm. i thought that was a really smart way of going about it and it's overall a smart movie right i think i think that's actually very like i do yeah i think that's the word i think it is very clever in terms of things because part of what they did to prevent him holding on to that was that he had Han look look straight at him and kind of call his bluff. Right, that too. And I think it was only Han could do that because Han is a character who would have done the similar type of thing to get from the begin from the get go. Like it was very clever on that. And Finn is very much a, a the the Han character where he's just like always trying to leave and always like coming back and constantly doing the. Right. Back and forth kind of deal. Right. But I feel like a lot of people have said that Finn, uh, Finn is a new Han mm-hmm. or Ray is a new Luke. But I feel like these characters have a lot more going on, but we're not going to turn this into a Star Wars podcast. So tell me <laughs> what else you did for you. Because you had something really cool, but I'm like, you are like the coolest person because you're going to be sharing it with me very soon. Don't, don't tilt your head. You showed me some like awesome stuff. That you're talking su- about the hip hop variant covers. That is exactly what we're talking about here. That is, it is really awesome. Um, yeah, so the hip hop variant covers came out a few days ago, and I'm giving you one because you are awesome. And they're super dope. Um, I went to the comic book store to get them. They're giving out a booklet away for free. Which one? Uh, Which one? Which comic book store? <laughs> it's called Bulletproof Comics in Brooklyn. Uh, it's right by Brooklyn College. If anyone's in Brooklyn or New York wants to check them out, they're really helpful and nice. I'll give them a little shout out. Um, but uh, yeah, but it was, I, I've been to comic book stores before, but it's something that I kind of realized this time going in was that I have a hard time navigating comic book stores and maybe because I'm, me and I'm, I'm loopy but um you tend to like kind of have to feel your way through and I feel like it's like a thing like the more you go the more you can kind of get how to get to things but um the store clerk was really helpful uh and I ended up finding the hip-hop variant covers and I bought the first two issues of Moon Girl which have all been awesome uh and so I got Wu-Tang I got Deadpool and Spider-Man on the cover of Eric Me Rock Kim. I got Kamala Khan on Miseducation of Lauren Hill inside the booklet, and it's just looking super dope. And I haven't read the comic books yet, but I'm excited to see what's inside. That, that's exactly it. I totally forgot that these were out. Like, I almost forgot that they came out, although we had kind of raved about them last time we spoke. But, so I'm glad they're out, and I guess I'm gonna try to visit my comic book store to see if I can find any that you were looking for. Because you said the Miles Morales one wasn't out when you looked. Right. It's not, yeah, the Miles Morales one isn't out yet. But the comic guy, um, the comic guy said that wasn't out yet. So I really want that one. So I will try to do my due diligence to see if I can find stuff that you didn't get, so I can share the love. That'd be awesome. I guess that kind of leads us into our week of hip-hop, doesn't it? Yes. So, 
because we did a little bit of love on the force awakens our hip-hop dumb is going to be a little bit short compared to usual but my week in hip-hop dumb actually involves the mers and ninth wonder project brighter days came out i think literally new year's day or a little bit afterwards and project's just okay i was expecting a little bit more i think mers is just in a different in an interesting place and i never just noticed maybe i've just never noticed it from him have you ever listened to sweet lord or murray's revenge or 316 no i stopped listening to Mer well and most I listened to Mars is that that trilogy had um, me and this John and um, the two other songs he had that I really don't find. I never ventured further after that. I haven't. I have to take a look into that. So he's been doing a lot. He's done what? This is his fifth project with Ninth Wonder. And I've heard a couple of them. Mm. And Ninth is usually amazing as he always is. Yes. And. It's not unusual for Murs to talk about his relationships and Brighter Days, the actual title, title, ends up being a lyric on a song that's about a relationship. So I get that that's throughout the project, but I, it feels weird to say this, but I don't know if I want to hear, a, I don't know how much I like hearing a full project of Murs talking about relationships. Because hmm. that's a real big thing and I don't, because I don't think his best part is when he t does his storytelling. When he does his storytelling, he provides us insight to... he there, On one of the songs, he was talking about uh, if this should end. He was talking about if his relationship with someone should end. He talks about wanting leaving his kids at his, his mother's house so she can spend time with the woman that he loves. Like There's stuff like that. It's like he captures a storytelling bit. But there are several times in this project that I literally feel like I hear... The same similar opening line of like, oh, this lady's so beautiful. And it's literally almost feels almost exactly the same. Like, it's not, but it feels like the opening bars are exactly this very generic, oh, she was so fine. I'm like, really? When, <laughs> when Murs gets more distinctive in describing the relationship, he does a lot better at it. And he gets, he has lines that are interesting, so... He has this line where he says, uh, a gentleman is just a wolf that's patient. And that's that kind of perspective on relationships, wanting to be mature, but also acknowledging that you are willing to cave in certain places. So I get that. And I almost wanted him to collaborate with Fonte on that record, because that's a line that I would have imagined Fonte saying. And I think that Fonte would have been a person to help him kind of Think about how to describe the relationship more interestingly. Because for the most part, every song that kind of has that as a core component, I didn't like. When he focused on other stuff, he did great. He has a song about uh, his friend Rob, which... Classic storytelling, Murr's joint, great. And then he has a song with... Uh, What's Rob about? Was that the one about, like, Rob's on drugs or something like that? I don't think you, Rob was on drugs, but Rob, Rob essentially is, he kind of talks about a heist that Rob kind of put him in, put him into, but kind of understanding why Rob put him in that scenario and the kind of thankfulness for Rob, because he ends up having Rob being the album cover for one of his first projects. Oh, interesting. So it was pretty neat to hear that story and... 
But really, the highlight song, the song that I think I'll be playing for the rest of the year, is Walk Like a God with him, Rhapsody and Propaganda. He has a fantastic verse talking about hip-hop, kind of feeling like spiritual. Rhapsody has this kind of unifying verse overall, and then Propaganda comes in. And if you don't know familiar, he's been a long-time rapper, Christian hip-hop artist, and kind of just talks about the way that God kind of brings people together. Fantastic song. Best song in the entire project. Project's okay. I was going to spend more time with it, but nothing too crazy. But I think that leads us into what should be a fun activity. Should be. <laughs> so, I thought about. I initially thought that it's early 2016, we should talk about our favorite albums of the year, or we should talk about our favorite songs of the year. But instead, I am challenging myself and Victoria to create a five-song mixtape of songs that came out in 2015 that describe our 2015. It's crazy. So and we're doing it on the fly. We're doing it on the fly. I just came up with the topic. I didn't get to think of the songs. Never mind. So, I'm going to go first, give her some time to think. Yes. The very first song that I think would be on the project would be Uncomfortable by Andy Mineo. And I think that title is very self-explanatory. I would say the next song on that list would probably be... Uh, wow, that's going to get hard. I think I'm going to say You from Kendrick Lamar. Choose that one. You can still choose that. It's your sequencing. So it's. I think part of last year was feeling very uncomfortable. I'm probably more so talking towards the end of last year because that really stands out. Feeling uncomfortable, kind of being upset at myself, that leads me into you, huh? And then it gets a little bit tough here, because I felt like I wallowed a little bit in that. Mm. I'm not sure what song captures that. Huh. This is this is this is this is this is this is Well, I'll chime in while you think. Yeah. I um I also have you just because it's been a year on self reflection and just obviously um you know, there's always time for self reflection and uncomfortableness as you said and um self consciousness easily. And, and I'm gonna choose two Kendrick songs because Kendrick <laughs> was basically ruled my twenty fifteen. Uh, All Right, I think, was another one, just kind of to combat you with the feeling of, you know, feeling better. And I think it, it, that song can be very therapeutic in a way that, you know, we're going to be all right, like kind of reassuring. And that, that's that been another theme for me last year. Mm. Um, and I, I have G-O-M-D by J. Cole. <laughs> are, just, are we going to count that, though? You know, I don't know. 2014. We, we, we're two years removed from that now, pretty much. But it was late. All right, fine. All right. All right. Come back to me. What do you have? I have Contradictions Maze, which I think kind of fits that, that whole combatant vibe. i trying to think of a fourth track that, com that comes off with that. Huh. I think my third one is Hello. Well, can Erica... Can, Andre 3000 first on a song. Is sure, we'll allow that. We'll allow that. We'll allow that. We're allowing that. I think hello would be that. Just uh, reintroductions, um, getting into new things. Um, it's really cute about relationships and just like technology and relationships in general. Mm. I think it's a really cute song. 
I can definitely uh, apply that to some of my 2015. I think the next track that come that comes up is that I'd probably say Big Crits it's better this way. I think after that kind of combatant thing, you start just like the process is worth like in my mind I'm like the process of what I was going through last year is better this way to accept whatever's going on. And I think I would end it off with Jay Givens there said there'd be jetpacks. <laughs> where part of the comedic part of the song is that there's this point where he starts talking like a flight attendant throughout. And he's like, and there's a line where he's like, he thinks that these books could be a parachute and they can't be. I mean, he ends up ending in the song is like, wait, the, the seats are jetpacks. Like everything's like, they think they're about to crash. They think everything's not going to work out. All right. But the seats will be jetpacks. Like, mm. I was like, it all kept, it's like, it's almost like how you described it all right to you. Right. And mind you, that's more just a part of the song than necessarily, necessarily the full thematic idea of the song, but I think that's how I'd sequence my my five-song mixtape for the year. Well, I will say, if I can't have G-O-M-D, I think I might go with I-D-F-W-U. <laughs> <laughs> I need a song, and a song with an acronym <laughs> that's also super, uh, I don't want to say arrogant, but... Uh, just kind of in your face and like a song that makes you feel like good about yourself, like different from all right, but more of a uh, a cocky feel. I think that's you, important. You need to be feeling yourself a little bit. I need to be feeling myself a little bit. <laughs> so I'm a I'm gonna do Big Sean for that one. Wow, <laughs> I can tell I you out of our. Our conversation, especially today, I never thought you'd tell me that you'd feel like Big Sean described you in 2015. Um, he's four. No, just that song. I know. But it's still Big Sean describing part of your year. It's a, gr- it's a huge st- statement given that's, everything else you've said. This is true. This is true. How many songs? I guess that's one, two, three. Oh, three? Oh, four. F four. All right. That song still. Oh, man. Nothing from your guy Amir? Oh, Amir. No. It was a dope mixtape. Um, Amir is also uh, Amir Mitchell Towns. He's on Girl Meets World. He's Jazzy Jeff's son. Um, has a really dope tape. I sad to say none of his songs stuck gotcha. out to me as much as I wanted them to. Mm. But um, still a lot of good stuff that I, I, I really want to delve into. Um, I'm, li- I'm literally looking through my phone now. See, like, so what's the emotion that you're trying to capture? Uh, you know, that's the thing. I don't even know because I'm. I, I feel like I have my my arrogant feel in myself. I have my like relationship. I have my self soothing, and I have my self conscious song. I feel like I maybe like an adventurous song because like, I, I I did a lot. In 2015. So, let's see. Can I just choose another Kendrick one? <laughs> but you know what song would be cool? Um, Luke Christopher. He had that song. Oh, what was it? I have to look. It's either This Old World or another one just about uh, traveling the world and like getting out there and just really inspirational and feels really adventurous. 
Lucrez, I was bumping Luke Christopher for a while this year, last year too, and this year. All right. So I think, I think that's our good five song mixtapes of our thing. So we'll repeat it quickly. I started off with Uncomfortable. Then I went by Andiminio. Then I had You by Kendrick Lamar. Then I had Contradictions Made by Odyssey. Then, wow, did I forget my fourth one already? <laughs> this is what happens. It was something before, oh, uh, It's Better This Way by Big Crit. And then yeah. they said there'll be jetpacks by Jay Givens. Yeah. And then say your quick five again. Nice. Um, so mine's were All Right by Kendrick, You by Kendrick, Hello by Erica Badu and Andre 3000, IDF with You, <laughs> Big John, and This Old World, Luke Christopher, which I also, I just thought of another thing for that, because it's just like, this old world just keeps on turning, is what he says. I feel like that's kind of like what 2015 has been like, so just kind of rolling with the punches, like getting new things done, dealing with um, other things that happened, just going going through with it. It's, so. talk, talk about stuff to be going through. As a hip-hop writer for a website, you had a <laughs> lot of writing stuff to be going through today because of a certain... I have. Certain someone. Dropped surprise tracks and stuff, then took it down, then put it back up, then I think took it back down again, then put, put it back, back up. up. Um... Kanye West is who we're talking about. <laughs> right. Dropped Real Friends today and a snippet of a song with Kendrick Lamar, um, No More Parties in LA. Right. And he did drop facts last week, which you had and to write about. Facts last week, but we're not talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> so we are talking about that. Why are we not talking about that, Victoria? Why are you choosing to ignore that it exists? Um, I think someone put it best. It's. It is, without a doubt, Kanye West's worst song. But even in that idea, Kanye West's worst song can still be an okay song. But that song is still bad. <laughs> you really think it's his worst, though? I would say it's his worst. I'm pretty sure we can pick a bunch of stuff from other... You sure? I mean, this is by no means me defending this track by any means. <laughs> I'd say it's pretty up there. I'd say it's pretty up there. But, um, yeah, and then just, uh, the other thing, it, it just felt like we were talking about this earlier, just, it feels like he's trying to emulate too much of what rappers are doing today rather than before it always felt like he was ahead of the curve, like he was always ahead of the game and always, like, coming up with things, like, being truly innovative and kind of being a leader rather than follower and that's what facts kind of felt like to me it's mm. real friends oh yes let me add to that no go ahead you want to talk about real friends your heart is already there as a real, real friend friends is where my heart is because real friends was so good and i'm not even a big ty dollar sign fan but that song was it was good it was i i didn't know like i feel right now we just don't know what kanye's going to do <laughs> like every song that comes out i press play with caution like, I'm not sure whether I'm going to be disappointed. I could be, it could be the worst thing I've heard. It could, it could literally be anything. Anything. Like that t tweet we saw earlier, like it could be like a 12 thing of farts and different sounds of Odyssey. <laughs> like, I would not, like if Connie put that out, I wouldn't even be surprised. 
but Real Friends was. I was happily surprised with it. It, um, I don't know if I liked his flow too much. The beat was dope, of course, because Kanye. But um, I feel like it was a step in the right direction, and it made it for the first time. I feel excited for Swish. Um, and wow, then you the used the excited word. Excited, yeah. Excited is back on the table with Kanye. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> and, and I put that literally there. <laughs> Tomorrow. <laughs> next Friday. Because apparently Good Fridays are back. Um, back at all. He could just, like, kill my dreams. And just, I could fall flat on my face on what I'm saying right now. <laughs> but that that track with Kendrick, I will say, is looking pretty pretty good really good but i'm also kendrick stan so i mean that might i might be clouded <laughs> so i like you i think this is probably one of few hip-hop podcasts that both both people who are involved are always cautious ever pressing play with kanye west although i've probably been more cautious for longer than you i've been cautious since 2009 i'll never forget the day the day that <laughs> Fans started coming out of the woodworks that didn't make any sense. The moment that we allowed Kanye to get away with that put-on verse, I'll never forgive people for that. Everything changed. But anyways, we're not getting into that. But I listened to the song, and a couple of things came to my mind was... The first thing that came to my mind is that I didn't think he would sound like that again. And I say that, I don't think anything he said was anything like super deep or super esoteric but it felt a little bit more trans i don't i want to say transparent but transparent is a word it felt a little bit more low-key-ish i think that's kind of what got me it felt like the same ilk of song that we got on family business same ilk of song that we got on like the ilk is similar to the stories he told in Family Business, even similar to the story that we got with Big Brother. Like, these are songs that we connect with Kanye, not because they're lyrical feats or anything like that, but because of what Kanye is saying and the trans, as I say, not transparency, but I guess relatability is the word. Yeah. But there's this kind of story element, and even Welcome to Heartbreak, it all, it, it captures all of that. And I'm, I like that tone that he has. We haven't really gotten that tone where it's a little bit more laid back and it's a little bit more like that. And it's not a track that's necessarily about a relationship either. I think that's the other point that got to me is that he didn't, he could have easily have done all of that and it just be a track about a relationship with Kim or with somebody else. Yeah. It was just a relationship with family and friends. Like that's what it was. And I, it feels weird to say, but I feel like that's a topic he hasn't just gone back to in a while. I agree. I think that was the other thing. It was kind of like a return to almost old Kanye, yeah, but yeah. not quite, but just it, it, it did like have a hint of that. Right. Like, like you, I mean... I'm not a Ty Dolla Sign fan. Nothing really against him. Mm. I did have, I did feel like the hook was weird at times, but other times I thought it was fine. I think it worked for what he was doing in the song because it almost does have that 
who are your real friends, growing apart, all those other elements. So, And because there's this kind of element of being reluctant with family and so forth, I think the melody and stuff that Ty has makes sense. I'm not a Ty fan by any means, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to be here to say like it didn't work. It worked. Right. Another thing I think I felt was that for some reason I, co- I immediately connected it with Drake's no new friends. Mm. And I just thought that it was just interesting. It was like a, a new concept, but an old approach almost. I don't know. Well, not an old approach, but like a new concept, but something that's kind of been discussed before. It's been discussed before. I think it's different because it's family, and I think that's the that's the difference. And mind you, people, maybe you had the the, uh, the endurance to hear Jesus in completeness. I skipped around. <laughs> Did you remember him talking about his family? Really? Um, just that's, that's I mean, not named Kim, Kim, and was it? That's not that's Kim. Not, um, bound too, wasn't that? I mean, besides that, because that's oh. pretty much Kim. I don't think so. No, I think that's that's as I said. I think that's a very interesting thing. As I like, mind you, he's not really painting his family in the greatest of light on this track by any means. True, <laughs> but it's as I said that whole the story about the laptop and so forth. It's interesting, and it's mm. even though so, his family, personal. right? But did he have? He didn't have his kids in Jesus. Like, no, I, I, don't th- I don't think he had his kid by then, though. I no, think, so, I mean, maybe, afterwards? I mean, that's fine to me. I'm just yeah. saying other pieces of family or even just other friends. Like, oh, true, true, true. That's what more so what I was just like... Part, now that I think about it, part of Kanye's staple has been telling that story of a relationship that's not just... Like, as I say, I think of family business. I even... I... I'm not sure what I'd think off a registration, though. Even yeah. roses, though. Right. Roses. roses would have captured that. Hey, mm-hmm. mama would have captured that. Right. And then on graduation, you had Goodnight, even though it's this bonus track. Mm. You have, as I said, Big Brother, which is really right. turned into a special song. For, like, that's that was a big trait. And Dark Twisted Fantasy doesn't, like, Dark Twisted Fantasy does a lot of different other things, so I'm not going to, like, penalize it for that. Mm-hmm. But it's not really there off the top of my head. But, you know, and I, I feel like I was connected. I It was really sad, but, like, with Kanye, I feel like after his mom passed away, kind of had a large impact on him, so maybe that's why he strayed away from the family talk. And then, now that he's married with kids, it's kind of, like, coming back. back into music. That's interesting. That's a good hypothesis. I, I guess because 808s exist in a world where his mother did pass away. Mm-hmm. Unless you could make an argument that he probably got everything else he needed to say about relationships ever for like the next five years off of that's that. That's also a really good hypothesis. <laughs> so, that's a lot of Kanye talk. That Man, is. Man, 2016's a very interesting year already. Yes, it is. What a time to be alive. <laughs> Really? Really? <laughs> I like to keep me on your toes. <laughs> Speaking of keeping on your toes, our kind of, we're going to talk about our theme theme of the week. And our theme this week is kind of taking responsibility. It's the beginning of the year. And part of, I mean, what? It's end of the first week. People are failing their New Year's resolutions. <laughs> 
and it's not just that it's like we there's this idea of what you i'm like 25 now i just turned 25 a few weeks ago you're okay. turning you're going to be turning 25 in like a few months yeah we're there's this kind of point in our lives where we have to be very cautious of what we're doing we have to take responsibility for who we are and i was like i think i think that's a thing for us to really consider and I was thinking about, like, what does responsibility even look like in hip-hop? And the first thing, the couple of things that came to mind, the very first one was uh, Rhapsody's Hard to Choose. I don't know. Did you watch her NPR performance? I did. So dope. Do you remember what she was talking about with Hard to Choose? The kind of, she tries to do this for others. She tries to place herself in a position where her music serves at, serves people right right but at the same time the lack of gratitude the kind of not being appreciated and wanting to stick to her who she is there's a line where she's rather she's be she'd rather be better not basic not falling into certain tropes or things and she doesn't hate those things by any means but in terms of trying to chart out her progress and stay true to who she is like she's very tied to that kind of responsibility of her work and so forth and kind of also describing the hardship of wanting to stick to that i've always kind of i appreciate that about the song i think that's kind of a part of like rhapsody's whole mo and why i appreciate her as an artist yeah she even had the other song that she performed about uh the fathers yeah that's a good point but um like taking responsibility and how, like how, boys who grow up without fathers have to kind of take responsibility for the house and have to become like the man of the family. Right. I forgot, and she actually spoke about the. She kind of shouted out the father who was actually in the audience. Right. Right. She did say like there are a lot of great fathers out there, but there are there is a another side where some people grow up without fathers and have to get a whole bunch of responsibility all at once at a very young age burnt so that's kind of some of the hip-hop stuff from my from my view what have you, what comes to your mind where you kind of think of like taking responsibility in hip-hop the first thing i thought of was as something we kind of like came to, to the two at the same time was about fans having to take responsibility for who they listen to or who or should they take responsibility for who they listen to the people they, you know, if an uh, artist has done a crime or something disgusting? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what what are what is our role in buying their music, supporting them, or are those two things separate? Because I, I think an, an ar- interesting argument I've always heard is that you know, once that person may have done something horrible, but let's say they've done steps to rehabilitate rehabilitate themselves, rehabilitate themselves, and move forward, and it's years and years and years later, should should we still be abandoning them? Should we still not be buying their things? Should we still, well, not want to support them? And I mean, it, it obviously varies from case to case and what the person's done and how they've acted. And, I won't well, even get into who's who and what what. <laughs> I mean, we can, but we're not we're not going to do that yet. I think yeah. with your statement, though, I think yeah. 
part of the fans taking responsibility has to also be allowing allowing people to still be critical of their artist. I think at times as fans, there's this kind of reluctancy for criticism heaped at the artist, especially if they've probably done some of what you described and potential. It's been years since it happened or whatever. Right. But depending on what they've done, it may always be important that it's always brought up, regardless right. of how we feel about him moving on. Or So I think we've kind of danced around who we're mainly talking about here. So I'm just going to throw it out there into the ether. Right. Because we are kind of dancing around mainly R. Kelly's who we're coming up with our discussion here. Yeah. And... Or even Chris Brown. Oh, but yeah, with R. Kelly. That's a, yeah. Chris Brown's actually a very good one. Let's do Chris Brown. I'd rather not even just talk about R. Kelly. Let's just do Chris Brown. Okay. <laughs> so, that's actually a good story. So, should... I think part of the fan issue should always be willing to accept that if anyone says that I'm not listening to another Chris Brown thing because of how he treated Rihanna in terms of domestic abuse, they should be willing to accept that as a fan that that's a not even that's not even just a criticism that they should accept. That's a reasonable criticism to have. And that you as a fan have accepted the fact that I appreciate the, what the person does artistically in spite of those character flaws that they carry. Like, that has to be a part of how you're doing this. I don't... Because certain things that, such as domestic abuse, is bigger than your artist, bigger than your love of their music, yeah. it's bigger than that. So therefore, you need to not... Like, if, if Chris Brown has to ask, answer another question about domestic violence, it'll be annoying and everything... But because the topic is bigger than him and he has to take responsibility for that, it is something that should be, they sh not should be expected, but it shouldn't be a thing that he should, it should not be a thing that he's fully allowed to get angry at. Right. It's something like you did, you have to own up to it. And one of the prices you have to pay is that you're going to have to talk about it. Right. For like a while, for probably the rest of his life. Right. And I think that's it. It's like, it's that fan responsibility to say it's okay to love your artist. It's still okay to want to like have your artist do well, but it's allow take responsibility that your artist didn't do things, didn't do something right, and that there there is a particular right for them to be criticized. And I think in a, like Chris Brown's a weird example because I actually don't think that a maybe I'm. Crazy, and mind you, I'm not in the R&B world, but I don't think he has as much ramifications now as I would have previously thought. No, you would have thought that his career would be over, but it's kind of, it's really bounced back. Right. For a while, he was kind of on the bump road. I think his daughter really helped him out, because uh, I think that's what mostly straightened him out. So even then, he was still having like a lot of anger issues and being in the news for like wrecking whatever rooms and stuff like that. <laughs> but overall I think it's just like as you said it's important to be honest with who like the artists we're, so we decide to support but I mean I personally don't think we should support artists who well I try not to support artists who I disagree with their um, stance or people who I feel like haven't grown since what they've done mm -hmm. um, 
I feel like our dollars are important. And if you start to, if you pay money to someone after they do something, it kind of feels like you're sort of supporting what they did or saying like, oh, I don't care about this issue. Right. Or I care about their music more than I care about this issue. Which might be a legitimate statement. It could be. I don't know if it's the right statement, but it, it, it could be I'm, a legitimate reason. Um, right statement is weird because I think I think the wrong statement is to say that... The, I think the wrong statement now is to say that what they did is fully removed from whatever art they created. Artists specifically. Mm-hmm. I think for a lot of people... And I think the R. Kelly thing kind of really made it in my head more where I noticed that it, it's hard to really separate the issues from the art that they create. Music is very weird and specific in that particular case. And R. Kelly kind of really blurs the lines between like, well, what is the intention of the song when you're constructing it really? That's an interesting point, yeah, because R. Kelly does make a lot of Right. Songs that relate to why people may not support him, but whereas Chris Brown makes doesn't like his songs are if you were like a rapper that talked about like whatever, huh? <laughs> right? But yeah, but since his songs kind of don't relate to what happens, you can kind of separate those two entities, kind of, or brands or people, sort of, sort of. I think that's the weird thing is that if you were hypothetically, I mind you, I don't know anything about Chris Brown's music, really. But if we were to dig deep into Chris Brown's lyrics and what they imply about his relationship with women, maybe behind, if we were to look at it, maybe maybe issues of domestic abuse, maybe not domestic abuse, but like problematic issues in terms of his relationship with women would have would be a theme throughout his music, potentially. Because I, I don't know how separated those things are as anymore. I, I feel like I should go back and listen to a lot of Chris Brown's music because there might be some nuances in there, but I think most of his songs tend to be like your traditional love song or your misogynistic love song. <laughs> uh, that's why I was like, maybe, maybe not. So... All that's to say is that fans need to accept responsibility that their artists are fair to be criticized, especially because their artists need to be taken responsibly for their own lives. That I can agree with. Is there anything else you wanted to say concerning hip-hop and taking responsibility? Do you really want to get into RZA? <laughs> nah, let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> I think we can all agree that RZA is just, yeah, respectability. Oh, uh, Riz is just awful. Next one. <laughs> We're going to talk about res- responsibility in nerddom. And I'm actually going to talk about like a negative portrayal of it, actually. Mm. Let's, so, I, one of the things that came to mind was Death Note. So, premise of the show, Light Yagami. Not, light, it's, special, it's important to note, Light Yagami is your ideal high school student. He's super acing all of his classes. However, he has, if I remember correctly, he, a lot of girls kind of fawn over him. He's right. about to go into college, get a full scholarship. Like, the, the deck is stacked in his favor forever. Like, hypothetically, whatever traditional worldview of a successful high school career going into college, he had it. 
right? Yep. He ends up with this death note, which is the ability to write. Once you write down somebody's name, they can die. There are a whole bunch of rules tied to that. And his response to that is that he feels like he was divinely... His eventual thing is that he feels like he's divinely chosen to to take responsibility for the corruption in the world. And as a result, he becomes a person corrupted by power. Yeah. That's a great summary. Right. And that's pretty neat. Like, it sounds weird just to describe, like, corruption of power is neat. But it's really (laughs) neat in the sense of that you can almost get too much want... Like, there's a there's a line between taking responsibility for who you are and the things that you need to do and the influences you want to make versus feeling like you're fully responsible for the world because it, it implies this kind of superiority complex that you may or may not have. Or even this kind of us at times feeling like we need to change the world. It's kind of us exacting or kind of embracing our ego a little bit. Like, and you can, I never really thought of wanting to change the world and our influence, trying to make an influence and difference can be kind of egotistical in a sense, overblowing what significance we do have. And I guess Latyagami kind of exaggerates that to the nth degree, but that's something I never really thought of before. Kind of wanting to over, overtake responsibility. Yeah, that's an understatement. (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's funny too because before we were talking about with Rhapsody how young er, kids who grew up grow up without a father or a parent figure father figure have to kind of become um, grow up too fast and become the man of the household or the woman of the household maybe if that happens We've kind of, it's the same thing I thought of in Nerdum where it's kind of a another trope where students who live, may live in a poor circumstance will have to become take on several part-time jobs in Korean dramas to become a, take care of their families and support them financially. And I just I just realized that connection there is just uh, was pretty interesting. That's actually pretty neat. Mm-hmm. And you notice that it's a lo- usually a lot of women who ha- like young girls who usually have to do that. So I guess that was interesting where you said it's like women taking responsibility for the household, right? Right. It's usually women in Korean dramas. It's like the it's trope is called Cinderella story, where women are usually poor. They usually have many part time jobs. They're supporting their family, um, usually like supporting their like dad's gambling habits or their mom's shopping habits or whatever. Um, there has been one Korean drama that I'm watching lately, which is about a guy who feels like he has to take responsibility for his dad since his dad has Alzheimer's. It's called Remember. And that's been interesting just because he feels like he has to take responsibility for his dad because he's, he's like super smart and he can take care of um He can become, he decides to become a lawyer in order to help his dad. And he, um, He's the one who hired the lawyer that kind of got his dad into this predicament in the first place. I thought that was pretty interesting. Hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of super heavy stuff that we just kind of kind of deciphered through a little bit. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> Man, getting old is not fun. It is not fun at all. <laughs> I am not looking. Well, I am looking forward. 
to it, but I am not looking forward to it. Because yeah. uh, there's some heavy stuff going on. Yeah. But you'll be awesome with gray hair, though. Thanks. Maybe. <laughs> so, to kind of alleviate us thinking about responsibility and the things that kind of come with that, I guess, kind of young people kind of having to step up to that earlier. On a subtle side note, because it just came to my mind, hmm. isn't that kind of also like a lot of plots of like a random JRPGs now that I think about it? It's like, oh, you're this young 60-year-old person who's going to have to change, save the entire world. It's entirely on your plate. Yes, we could not find the responsible adult who has their life together to fi- fix this. Could you? Could you, at a 60-year-old, please do that? Thank you. That is so true. Uh, can you go save this princess? Because we have no one else that can do this for us. And clearly, you're not doing anything. So, <laughs> you have a sword. <laughs> yeah, you're wearing green. You should be... You're, 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 yeah, you're responsible. You can yeah. handle this. Go ahead. Take care of that for us. Have you played Final Fantasy X? Yes, no? No. Okay. Wait. Uh, no. I say that because part of Ten kind of deals also with Yuna and her wanting to keep all the responsibility to herself and huh. not share how much but it's kind of driving her crazy and her relationship with uh, Titus is the fact that he wants to kind of share some of that burden with her. Like, it's an interesting notion that that, that relationship between the two has a lot to do with trying to share the burden and there's a weird ending that somebody puts into context concerning burden which is interesting so i just wanted to know if you had played that but we'll throw that out i think i have the game but i never played it i need to play it play it which is actually good that's a good segue Hmm. so this 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 part of the show is called the what question (laughs) and our what question is our what are your nerdy slash hip hop goals of 2016? Well, gonna, you're gonna go first. I'll go first. Um, so for me, I've been meaning to watch. I'm a huge Sailor Moon fan, as you may have picked up on, and I've meaning to watch Revolutionary Girl Itana for the longest because I feel like there's a lot, maybe not similarities there, but there's there's a similarity in vibe and feeling between the two that I kind of have picked up on. So I really want to watch that. And I really want to watch Michiko and Hachin because brown girls rock and I want to see an anime with a brown girl. I think it's super interesting. And a revolutionary girl has one as well. I think that'd be cool. Yes, I said that you should cosplay as Anthea at one point. So Yes, and that is still in, might happen at some point in life. Fingers crossed. If you guys tweet about it, maybe it will happen. Mm. Cough, cough. In fact, you have a picture to share with the people, but we'll talk about that later. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, and do you want to talk about your nerdy? So my nerdy thing is part part of her Revolutionary Girl Utena thing is because I've been kind of egging her on to watch it. She, yes. she, she was kind enough not to say it in that way. Kind of egging you. <laughs> and as a result, I said I was going to watch the entire first season of Sailor Moon. I really loved Utena. And I decided to try to go see uh, Sailor Moon because of, like, chronologically one comes before the other. And the third season of Sailor Moon is actually directed by the guy who did Revolution Girl Utena. So I've been dying just to see what he did before he got to Utena since it's such an interesting and very 
story. So I've been watching Sailor Moon slowly, and I want to at least get the first season done. I don't know if I can do all five seasons. It feels like a lot, to be honest with you, and I'm not, I'm not feeling the full vibe of it yet. But I'm so episode three. I'm on episode five. Okay, be very clear. But I think I'm open to see what it's like. I'm open to see and just kind of appreciate where a lot of these shoujo tropes come from because I've. Started and stopped uh, uh, Madoka Magica. So it'd be nice to just see where everything kind of... Not started, but kind of really came into its own in the magical royal genre. And what's your hip-hop plan? Me for hip-hop. I really want to get more into alternative underground hip-hop. I feel like there's a lot out there. Like, we kind of... We always hear about Tribe. We always hear about Daylock Soul, where they're... There were a lot more artists who came out in that like little period of time. Um, the kind of like kind of like funky and cool and alternative. But um, Digital Planets was pretty huge. They had their big hit, cool like that. But like they have few albums, a uh, few a lot of songs out. I want to I want to get into more like Doctor Octopus. A um, bunch of artists out there that I I think I, I I'd like to delve into a little bit more. How about you? For me. And this, I feel like I'm going to get, like, attacked on Twitter. Probably. I have not listened yet to a full Biggie or a full Pac album. I, up until this point in time, and there's a, the very miniature story is, when I was getting into hip-hop, I wanted to really just develop a personal relationship with the genre without having to feel like I had to love the classics, or, oh, I just love Biggie and Pac, because that is really a big hip-hop thing of like you only love those two artists but you don't really love anything else in the genre or even do one piece (laughs) exactly and it's not necessarily a knock on people who do that but it's like i wanted i wanted something deeper than that and i actually said at the very beginning and this is going to be crazy at the very beginning i said i wasn't going to listen to a full Pac, full biggie full jay-z or nas album for a while and then slowly that has changed I did Nas. I first heard Untitled, and then I did Illmatic, and I went through the. I've been slowly going through his discography. Jay, I made sure I've heard Reasonable Doubt. I've made sure I've heard some of. I actually don't think I've heard full Blueprint yet. I need to do that. But I've heard a lot of the great tracks in Blueprint. I was like, I've done a Volume Two. I've done Black Album. So I'm worked on that. I've been doing that. So it's the most logical step is to. Get over the next two two main people in the big four and do Biggie and do Pac as part of just doing my homework. And I've I've sneaked into their albums. Like, there are times where like, oh, I didn't know that Pac had a track with Corrupt and uh, a couple of these, and Method Man. That's interesting. So I've done, I have some idea what to expect, but I want to do my due diligence and just say I did all that. Then I'm going to just throw this out there as an idea. But I'm not like at the end of 2016. Don't get mad at me if I didn't do it. I might. <laughs> I wanted to do every Wu Tang affiliate project, not Wu Tang project. So I'm not saying I want to do every Wu Tang album and then do Methods Man disco- discography or Ray Man, uh, not Rayquan discography. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, that's something to do, but that's not what I'm talking about. The Wu has a bunch of affiliate artists that aren't really a part of the Wu. Hmm. So you're talking about Killarmy, 
You're talking about uh, sons of gods. You're talking about people like killer priests who are all like unofficial members, half members, partial members. That don't really get talked about when talking about uh, the importance of the Wu-Tang. And no one's ever really given me like an explanation of what goes on in that kind of part of the Wu-Kang legacy. I mean, even Gravediggers, I guess you could, even though Riz is a part of that group, is an affiliate project. So that's something I dream of doing, of like listening to everything to have an understanding. LA the Dark Man. I want to, but that's a that's a lot of money to spend to buy a couple of CD, a lot of CDs that I don't know anything about. Get Spotify. Yeah, we're not going to get into that argument. <laughs> but we ask you guys share with us on Twitter what are your nerdy and hip hop goals for 2016. Yes. And where can they tell us these things, Victoria? They can tell us these things on our Twitter, Miss Old School, by using the hash or the Wolves Den, using or just using the hashtag Ask N O H H or N O H H, or you can email us at nerdsonhiphop at gmail.com. Yeah, so that is actual second another episode in the books. Thank yeah. you so much for listening. Thank you guys for sticking with us. Sticking with us. And again, she's Miss Old School on Twitter and Instagram. And the Wolves Den 25 on Twitter and Instagram. Sayonara, son. Deuces.